Welcome to Church is Messy with Rick Henderson. In each episode of this podcast, we will examine and discuss some of the difficult, challenging, and often messy topics associated with church and Christianity and our faith. Whether you are curious, skeptical, and unsure about Jesus, or new to church, or maybe even a longtime devoted follower, this podcast is designed to bring the message of the gospel to the everyday messes of life. Welcome back to the Church's Messy podcast. I am looking forward to this discussion today because we get to go a little bit deeper into the message that happened on Easter weekend. What a great weekend that was. Oh, that was awesome. Rick? Yeah, loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. What a great experience. Are you it fully was. recovered from Easter no, weekend? No, um, I'm on my way. I still, I got that good kind of tired. You know, uh, but uh, Easter weekend here at Autumn Ridge was fantastic. I, I loved Good Friday services. Mm. It was great to see the crowds who who were who were there. Um, and then I got to tell you, um, all the people uh, who were here uh, blew me away mm. on Sunday morning. Uh, our traditional service was lit. Can you say lit for a traditional service? <laughs> it Absolutely. was great. I mean, the brass ensemble and the organ and the richness of the music and the choir was belting it out. And um, and then just the absolutely packed room uh, for that service, that was that was pretty wild. Uh, yeah, I say more that. about that. I mean, your first weeks yeah. here were preaching to a literally empty sanctuary. That's right. My first Sunday as the pastor preaching was to an empty room, to a camera, and it was like that for six months. And then the first service where we actually had people back in the building, it was less than 100 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've slowly but surely been increasing over that uh, over that time. And then we would drop down again whenever uh, there was another kind of COVID concern. And all of that's understandable, but it's just been somewhat of a wild, emotional ride. Mm. for me as the pastor, um, never really getting to experience what so many people have experienced for a long time. So yeah. Easter Sunday was my first time being in a traditional service with a room that was packed. Yeah. Uh, even when I was candidating, that wasn't the case. There was less than 200 people because there was a blizzard yeah. that weekend. So I've <laughs> never I've never seen it. And then uh, the next service was standing room only. Uh, and then we had a healthy crowd, the, the, the service after that. All told, we probably had um, around... Uh, 24 to 2,500 people in the building on an Easter Sunday. Uh, and it was amazing because it was the first time I'd ever experienced that. So many of the people who came uh, were people who have been a long time uh, members or, or, or faithful attenders of Autumn Ridge, part of our church family, but haven't been since the start of COVID. Yeah. And everyone's kind of on a different track, a different pace of feeling comfortable getting back in a large group. Which is very understandable. Totally understandable. I'm not judging anybody for that. I just recognize people are on a different pace. That's totally okay. But it was so encouraging and meaningful to Mm. see all of those people and get to have conversations with people who would come up and say, I know you, but you don't know me. And it's so great to be able to to be here today. I've been watching you online and now I'm here today. Oh, that was awesome. I I loved it. I was was jacked up. Yeah. I don't know if I I (laughs) seemed jacked up when I was preaching, but I was jacked up. That was awesome. No, I agree. I saw people that I haven't seen in a couple of years, and it kind of had a morning of feeling like a family reunion in many yeah. ways, while at the same time welcoming so many people that we'd never yet met before. Sure. And that was very exciting. And and I know, I, I totally get it. I, I mean, we've been we've been in the church world long enough to know this is a high attendance weekend. A lot of people pick this is the Sunday that I'm gonna come, and they come with family, and it and it's all of that is good, and it's not the same the next weekend, but it's 
my hope that because of the experience that people have that they just said, you know what? Oh man, it's so great to be back. Mm-hmm. This is this is now a part of the routine again. And I'm hoping we get to see more people more frequently. Absolutely. I'd love to just take a moment to ask you some questions about what it's like to be the pastor on Easter morning. Is mm. what, what kind of mindset do you have in preparing a message for Easter? Is it a different process or do you weigh different factors for an Easter message than you might on a typical Sunday? Uh, the process feels the same. Um, I, I know that I have uh, the, all the diversity that's already there on on a on a given weekend service is amplified. Uh, the number of people who are curious or skeptical or have questions that number of people is amplified. Sure. The number of people who are convinced and are and are eager to follow Jesus that number is is amplified. The the number of people who are kind of somewhere in between and not really sure if they're in or out or or even if they care that number is in. all of that is is amplified. And I guess what it does is it serves to really. Uh, I, I said earlier I was jacked up. I get really excited about the opportunity to make a big deal about Jesus and the thing mm. that validates our faith. The authentic miracle of the Christian faith is the resurrection. Yeah, and it is—it's uh, the thing that means that my preaching is not useless. It's the thing that means that our faith is not is not useless. It is true and meaningful and life-changing and eternity-shaping, and I just, uh, I, could, I, could, I could burst with excitement about the opportunity to be able to, to talk about that. And sometimes, you ask, what is it like? I feel like locker room, Rick, like when I was, <laughs> when I was, a, when I was a high school student and uh, back and playing on the football team and the excitement that you would feel before a game and, and, and pivotal moments that, 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 that level of energy, that, that sense of electricity, I feel it inside of me, and I mm. feel this uh, pressure to engage in self-discipline and to to not let that come out. Because one, I don't want to, what I don't want to overwhelm people, and I don't want to be, I don't want to be manipulative. I don't mm-hmm. want to create an emotional moment where people respond to the emotion instead of the content yeah. of the good news. And that's what I always want to make front and center. So talk a little bit more about that. What hopes do you have that God will do through an Easter service and and how does that inform the message that you preached? Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that number 1 uh that God's spirit will convict people of sin, convince people number 2 that Jesus really is who he claimed to be and that the resurrection is a real historical event. Mm-hmm. And because it's a real historical event, it demands an urgent and serious response. Mm-hmm. And uh, the third thing is I'm counting on uh, the, 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 the Holy Spirit working in believers, bringing greater clarity and insight uh, to to the text of Scripture, that the word that's often used for that is, is illumination. And so every weekend when I preach, this is what I'm praying for. This is what I this is what I'm hoping for. Uh, but on Easter, it is amplified. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, you just touched on the the desire to show people that the resurrection is a real historical event and the importance of the resurrection. You had, mm-hmm. you had mentioned in the message about the, the, the serious importance of that, because mm-hmm. if Christ did not raise from the dead, none of this matters. No, a, a, if Jesus is dead, so is Christianity. Mm-hmm. A dead Jesus is a worthless Jesus. 
Would you would you go so far as to say that anyone who does not believe in the literal event of the resurrection happening is wasting their time with faith? Yes. Yeah. Um, now, I would imagine that there are people who might push back on me and say, well, okay, well, let's take the text seriously. You got this guy hanging on the cross next to Jesus, and he just says, hey, will you remember me? And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Did that guy know that Jesus was going to rise from the dead? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot that he didn't know. But what he did know is, I trust you. <laughs> there are things about you that I can't explain, and aligning with you is a whole lot better than going with my than, than aligning with myself or mm-hmm. continuing on this path that I'm on. So if there's any hope for me, I, I'm with you. We know more than that guy knew. Um, it's so the undisputed uh, claim of the eyewitnesses is he rose from the dead. Mm-hmm. The undisputed teaching of Jesus is that he would rise from the dead. If you read Acts chapter 1, Jesus spent, I don't know, 30 to 40 days giving many convincing proofs Mm -hmm. that he did rise from the dead to the disciples, which blows my mind. It shows me the compassion of Jesus, the patience of Jesus, um, the the kindness of Jesus. Guys, I'm here. I even let you touch my wounds, which is a little Mm. bit gross. I've made you breakfast. I've eaten with you. I'm I'm here. I've walked through walls. I'm here with Mm -hmm. you. And he continued to give read it in Acts chapter one, he continues to give many convincing proofs. That tells me this is pivotal and non-negotiable. And Paul said, this is the thing that validates our faith. If it didn't really happen, what we claim to hold on to, his words, not mine, useless. Yeah. So you gave a series of very compelling facts Mm -hmm. about the resurrection, and I appreciated that. And yet, at the same time, even in the message prior to this week, the the message on hell, even in that story, it was brought out that— that people may not believe even if they see someone raised from the dead. And so at some point, it has to be about more than just facts. Sure. And, you know, and we see that in our own life. Many Mm -hmm. of us can quote facts about health and diet and exercise and and what will lead to a healthy life and what doesn't. And yet it doesn't always affect the way that we live. So what, what is it that you see about facts and the necessity of them, and yet also what else is required for someone to truly believe in a way that changes their life. Have you ever seen that t-shirt or that meme that says, uh, let's eat grandma, and then it says, let's eat, comma, grandma. It says, you know, a punctuation changes lives or saves lives. The most important thing yeah. about a comma, yeah. You know what? Prepositions are important, too. <laughs> One of the things I love about reading the New Testament, and let's just geek out a little bit for a second. Let me let me have my nerd moment. When you read it in oh, go Greek, for it. it doesn't just say belief. So often it's believe into and you are putting the weight of your life on this. It's not mere mental assent. Mm. It's I'm believing into this. I am anchoring myself to this. It's one of the reasons that we try to draw out what the meaning of the word faith is. In the New Testament, that word pistis, it means, uh, it means trust. It's an active thing. It's a deliberate thing. It's also best understood as allegiance. Mm. I could say to you, I believe that running is healthy. I haven't given my allegiance to running, right? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> my tennis shoes are not worn out. They look pristine. Um, I, 
But it's when you believe into it, you put the weight of your life on it, mm-hmm. you give your allegiance to it, that changes everything. Facts are, facts are important. Uh, they're monumentally important. And we don't want to believe into or give our allegiance to something that's not true. No one wants to be deceived. Uh, I, I Listen, lots of people are deceived, mm-hmm. but I don't know anybody who really wants to be deceived. I don't know anybody who says, yeah, I really want to be a fool. I want <laughs> to be duped. I want to be conned. Sure, people volunteer for lifestyle choices that produce that, but I don't know that that's what anybody wants, mm-hmm. right? And so... Facts are monumentally important, but just the presentation of facts is not enough. And I have every confidence that God in his graciousness and his sovereignty um, and his providence is working behind the scenes and doing things that I don't totally understand to help me grow, to help me repent, to help other people grow, to help other people repent. And I feel desperate for that. And yet, I have a responsibility, and you have a responsibility, and everyone who encounters the facts of who Jesus is and the resurrection, they have a responsibility. And I think it begins with humility. Mm. You know what? I'm not the authority here. Mm-hmm. I don't get to. De- I'm not the decider of what is. If I'm, de- if there, if I get to decide anything, I'm deciding what my response to reality is going to be. But I don't get to define reality, and it's. It's, it's that violent collision with the fundamental arrogance of the human heart that we see play out in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. Mm, say more about that. So Eve was deceived. Adam seems to know exactly what's going on. And what happens is when they choose to eat, of the, and in Genesis chapter 3 there, of, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they're saying, you know what, I want to supplant God's place in my life. It wasn't about having information about right and wrong. It was about being the ones who get to define what is right and yes. wrong. Mm-hmm. They wanted to define moral reality for themselves. I, I guarantee, go read, listen to any opponent of, of, of Christianity. Listen to any outspoken serious-minded uh, opponent to Christianity. And whether you want to go you go back in history a little bit and, and read guys like Sartre and Camus, or you want to listen to guys today, uh, the loud voices like Harris or Dawkins, what you're going to find is we don't need somebody else, and we certainly don't need a God, and we certainly don't need a religious person telling us how we ought to live. Mm-hmm. We can know it, and we can define it for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And the And the... The offensive, bad news nature of the gospel is, no, you don't. You don't get to be the definer. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't get to be the one who says what reality is. Your responsibility is to respond to what reality is. And God is the one who defines it. And will we trust in him? Will we be humble and turn to him and away from our own authority? And that's the, that's the real... That's the real collision point. I hope I haven't gotten off uh, off the rails from, from, from what you were asking. But when we were presented with the facts, will we say, you know what? I'm not the authority here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to embrace humility and trust him. 
Well, I think all that you've just said actually brings into, with a little bit more three-dimensional view, maybe a little bit more color, the, the logic in progressing from facts to identity. Mm-hmm. You know, what is the story we're telling ourselves about ourselves yeah. as it relates to mm-hmm. Christ and his resurrection? So we talk about being fully devoted around here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's why our church exists. We exist to lead people to be fully devoted follower of Jesus. And when we talk about what that means, it is authority. I find joy in submitting uh, to Jesus and his word, uh, act, identity. Uh, I find joy in defining myself by what he did not what I do, and then activity. Uh, I find joy in loving others the same way that Jesus loved me. As you read the the drama of Scripture, as you read from beginning to end, you will see people constantly intersecting with uh, the issues of authority, identity, and activity. And really what's happening when we realize uh, the, the drama of the cross the historical reality of the resurrection, what's going to be our authority, how are we going to define ourselves, and now what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. You asked the question in the message, what does it mean if we are living in the hope of the new life that yeah, we have that's in Christ? Right. That's right. What would you say to the person that says, you know, I believe, I, I do mm-hmm. believe that Jesus raised from the dead, I do believe that he paid the price for my sins, I do believe that now I have eternal life with him and yet, I still struggle with my identity in that. I still struggle to actually feel worthy of what God has done for me. How, what, what kind of advice would you give to the person that maybe is still trying to get this knowledge, these facts, from head to heart? Yeah. I wouldn't tell them that they don't believe but I would say you might underbelieve. Hmm. And the reason that I would say that is because I feel like I've got a lot of experience with that in my own life. Hmm. Uh, Do you want to share about that? Yeah, a little I don't bit? I don't I don't mind sharing about that, but but let me just make clear. If you're saying I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, I believe that he forgave me, I for I, I believe that that he loves me, I believe that he's given me eternal life, and it's not changing you from the inside out, or it's not breaking you free from the chains of insecurity or being defined by your failures or not being able just to be vulnerable with others and saying, this is the mess of of who I am and I can stand confident in Christ. If you're struggling with that, I think it's because you're under-believing the gospel. Years ago, uh, I, was, I was reading this book, and it's a book I think every person ought to read. Every person on the planet ought to read it, especially if you love Jesus, read this book. Well, do the, tell. What's the, the book? Search for Significance by Robert S. McGee. Search for Significance by Robert S. McGee. This book, I think God used it to change my life. And one of the early chapters, I'm reading it, and and I'm not really there yet. Like, my defenses are up, and I'm not I'm not really letting the the, the truth that he's trying to unpack really really penetrate my heart and my, and my thinking. And it just said, if you are in Christ, you are fully forgiven. Yeah, duh, no, that one. Uh, <laughs> if you are fully forgiven, uh, excuse me, if you are in Christ, you are you are fully loved. Yeah, got that one. I mean, I went to Sunday school when I was a kid. I know that <laughs> one. And then he said this, if you are in Christ, you are fully delighted in by mm. God. And it stopped me. It hmm. stopped me cold. And I underlined that whole, that section, I am, I am forgiven. I'm loved, and I'm delighted in. And I, I remember where I was, and I remember what I was thinking. I believe the first two, and I wrote in the margin of the book, I underbelieve this. Hmm. I don't believe that I'm delighted in. I, I don't believe that's how God thinks of me. 
And because I underbelieved that aspect of the good news, it was having a real impact on my life. And um, I used to, uh, I'm going to use the word, I'm going to use the word depression, but I'm not going to use it in a clinical sense. And so if you understand depression from a clinical sense, you understand it far better than me. I, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to engage in, in that um and, and I'm not trying to engage in that kind of discussion, but I would say that throughout my life, and my wife would even attest to this, that I would have bouts of what I refer to as depression. Maybe there's a better word for it. Maybe mm-hmm. it's just melancholy, maybe just being down, down in the dumps. I don't know what the best word is, but I mean, for me, it felt at times debilitating. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would be diagnosed, but there were times that I would just feel in the grips of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never knew when it was coming, but it would come. And one of the things that I learned to do, uh, that I taught myself to do when I was when I was in those moments, is I would just write out all the things that were going well, and all the things that I was succeeding at, and I would try to mm. bring myself up, uh-huh. <laughs> and 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 really kind of kind of surface so I could breathe again. Um, I'm okay. I shouldn't feel this way. Look at all the things that I'm doing right. And I don't think that was solving the problem. Mm-hmm. I think that was actually feeding the problem because I was defining myself and my sense of worth and that I'm enough because of what I was doing. And then if I did enough, maybe I would be delighted in. And there are people out there listening going, oh, yeah. oh I remember he talked about his dad. This dude clearly has father wounds. <laughs> You're right. I had father wounds. And that's, that's part of what contributed to how I got to that point. When I read this book by Robert S. McGee, you are fully delighted. And I'm like, I got to figure out if I believe that or not. Hmm. And I began to pray about it. And I remember, I remember one morning, I just had a beautiful time with my kids before they went to school and before I went to work. Wonderful time. And I was driving to work and it was as if God said to me, it was just this realization that was crystal clear. What you experienced this morning and how you feel about your kids is just a tiny fraction of how your heavenly father feels about you. Wow. And it changed my life. That's beautiful. Um, It changed my life. And I have not had bouts of whatever the best word is to mm-hmm. describe that kind of just sinking in the depths of, of hurt and doubt and mm-hmm. insecurity. I have not experienced that since then. That's powerful. Um, do I have insecurity? Yes, <laughs> I do. Do I have to wrestle it? Yes. Um, but in some, it's, like, it's like the chains fell off. Sometimes I want to go and pick those chains back up, but it's like the chains fell off. And it was truly coming to terms with my heavenly father delights in me. Mm. And you know what? If you're listening right now, if you have trusted in Christ, your heavenly father delights in you. And I'm convinced of this. It is practically impossible, maybe impossible, to delight in someone who you doubt delights in you. You can love them. You can pursue their affection. You can serve them. You can do all kinds of good things for them. Apply it to any relationship you want. I think it's next to impossible to delight in someone who you doubt delights in you. And so it does not begin with what we do for God or towards God. It really begins with what he has done for us in Christ. Mm. Believe it. 
And that changes everything. I really appreciate the description Mm -hmm. that you've just given, because I think it answers my prior question about what else is needed than just belief in facts Mm -hmm. in such a practical way. Mm -hmm. Um, This, the, this idea and, and what we speak around here about being fully devoted, being, uh, the way that we approach authority and the way we approach identity and the Mm -hmm. way we approach our activity all wraps into that concept of going beyond just mental assent to something and the way that it truly affects not only how we act, but Mm -hmm. how we see ourselves, how Mm -hmm. we see our place in the world, Mm -hmm. uh, all all of those kinds of things. I wanted to ask you about those two Latin phrases that you mentioned. uh, Do you remember the first one? Memento mori. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One time a guy came up to me and said, hey, I really like that phrase, memento (laughs) bitum. Like, you got it, man. Memento vitum aeternum. Yeah, that's a good one, one that, yeah. you, uh, that you made up there. Yeah. If we were to have someone who walked around following us throughout our day, whispered into our, into our ear, remember mm-hmm. eternal life, yeah. practically speaking, how would that for you actually change the way that you approach a conversation, the way that you approach a situation? What, what does remembering eternal life do for us as we live out our day-to-day life? Yeah, um, there are a lot of different directions we we could go. Uh, let me let me start here, and then maybe you jump in and tell me what you think it it, it might mean, uh, or or some of the some of the applications and implications could be. But number one is I am operating from that, not for that. Okay, I'm just I'm loved, I'm delighted in, I'm accepted. I have all of that new life now. Mm-hmm. Right. It it doesn't mean that I'm not going to, it doesn't mean that I'm not eventually going to wear out and I'm going to die, but I will immediately have, have new life and be with him eternally. And, and the, but the essence of all of that, of all of that means I get it right now in, in Jesus. And so I have nothing to prove. Mm. It's so what I do isn't about trying to get a status or trying to keep something. It is secure and it's there and it's not going away. And it frees me to truly love others to serve what's in the best interest of other people without needing anything in return. Mm-hmm. Of course I want things in return. Of course, Svea, I want you to like me back. <laughs> I want you to want to be my friend. But even if you don't want to, mm-hmm. I can still be kind and loving and, and engage you the same way that Jesus loved and engaged and, and served me because I don't need anything from you. I got everything from him. Mm-hmm. I can face real heartbreaking disappointment. And I know this isn't the end. Mm -hmm. This is a blip. It's real. And I got to go through it. But this does not define me. Mm -hmm. I'm defined by Jesus's victory. And I get to see everything in light of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, listen, I, listen, the the way that I'm wired, I, I know that I'm a kind of broad strokes and, and, you know, visionary type language and maybe I'm not getting down to the nitty gritty enough. So you help me. (laughs) You help me here. Well, I mean, immediately there's, I think for me, the first concept that comes from this is just the hope that we have that the struggles that we have right now do not need to define us because Mm -hmm. there is going to be a day when all of the things that we wrestle through now are going to be made right. Yes. And, And that gives me energy yes. to keep walking through messes now. Go knowing... read Psalm 98. Yeah. It is a cause of joy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
But also it frees us of this burden of feeling like I need to try to get the the money, the power, the status, the recognition, the respect, all of these things that the worldview culture around mm-hmm. us tells us that we need, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, the lies of if life is all about happiness now. And if you're not happy, you need to go search for it somewhere else yeah, or yeah. to try to find our own identity and who we yeah. are, that all of that just falls away mm-hmm. when we recognize, no, there's something so much better waiting mm-hmm. for us. And we don't need to chase after what is meaningless here yeah. because true meaning is is on the horizon. If you really want to understand this, listen to people who are smarter than me. Go read Tim Keller. I love what he has to say. You know, when we understand this, our successes don't go to our head and our failures don't go to to our hearts. Mm, I like and that. you know, I listen as we're we're people who we're not the only people in the world that have jobs that are out in public, but our jobs are primarily out in out in public, and people get to watch us, and and people get to decide ah, I don't want to be a part of what you do anymore, and they walk away, <laughs> or people say yeah I want to be a part of what you do, and they and they come, and and people uh, we we have we we get to play one of those roles uh, in 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 life, and this is our this is our career, but it's also our joy to serve, where people um, can always say hey I like that, no I don't like that, and it's. Everything that we do is up for public scrutiny and mm-hmm. feedback all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm not fighting that. I'm totally cool with that um, most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there are times that I am tempted to let what someone said about me, good or bad, define me. Mm. And the joy of the gospel is that doesn't define me. Mm-hmm. Listen, I'm way worse than people. <laughs> I'm way worse than a lot of people think I am. And I'm probably not as bad as some people think <laughs> that I am. But you know what? Jesus looks at me and he says, you're mine. I love you. I gave my life for you. You are defined by what I did. Just live in the freedom and the joy of that. Yeah. Just give your best. And whatever, what happens it happens, right? And you know whether people uh, whether people uh, say, "Yeah, I want to give my life to Christ," or people uh, respond in violence and say, "We want to kill you because you're preaching Christ." I'm free in Christ, regardless of the extreme outcomes or all the other outcomes somewhere um, less extreme on the on that spectrum. That's, I feel like I need a little bit more coffee to have a little bit more clarity. But you know where I'm going with, right? I mean, whatever happens, happens. I care, but it doesn't define me. I'm yeah. able to care because I care about people, not because of what I need from people to make me feel better about me in this process. Yeah. Does that make sense or does that sound like Dr. No, Seuss actually, I find that kind of exhilarating. And and maybe you want to give just a little bit of a teaser about what's coming up next in the sermon series as we focus on loving God and loving others. And, yeah. And maybe how this whole concept of who we are in the gospel that gives us the energy to go about doing that. Yeah, this is a great place to, to wrap up this next weekend. We're starting a new sermon series called Neighboring. And uh, it's all about trying to take seriously what Jesus said is is part of the greatest commandment, which is loving our, our neighbor as as ourselves. And when we do that, it gets to be one-way love. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't need anything from our neighbor in return to validate that practice, uh, to, to validate that commitment to love. We don't need anything from them in return to make that worthwhile. We are simply loving them uh, and engaging them the way that Jesus loved and engaged us, and we find life and joy in it. Mm. And I, I, I'm so ready to talk about it this Sunday. Yeah, it's going to be great. Well, what a wonderful Easter week it has been. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Thanks, Rick. Thank you for listening to Church is Messy with Rick Henderson. 
Church is Messy is a registered trademark of Rick Henderson, and this podcast is produced by Robert Nash. Our sound engineer is Josiah Novinger. Our theme song is Bring It. Follow us on Instagram at ARC underscore R-O-C-H. Email us with any questions you might have or topics you would like explored in future episodes at churchismessy at autumnridgechurch.org. For more information on Autumn Ridge Church in Rochester, Minnesota, please visit us online at autumnridge.church. Thank you for listening. <laughs>